0: Welcome to another edition of Unplugged, the one where we'll preview what is hopefully not our final game of the season. We'll obviously look forward to uh, Friday night and then hopefully beyond, um, barring a calamity. But it was a very tough night to take last Thursday. We went live. We obviously haven't spoken since uh, that particular game. Um, It was a, a crucial opportunity. Another one missed. We've had some painful losses this year, but that would be close to the top of the tree, that the frustration that, that sort of stemmed from it. Losses are obviously particularly hard to take when there's what-ifs and, and near-misses. And St Kilda, in a tennis parlance, had the game on their racket halfway through the last quarter and, and just squandered a, a couple of opportunities. And uh, the Eagles were able to nail theirs and, and won the game. But you spoke about 10 being the magic number. It's now crunch time. We've got what is our most important game in nearly a decade on Friday night against uh, the GWS Giants. And... Uh, We'll we'll hear from Brett Ratton a little bit later on and the the message that he sent the players, but it is a message that is very, very true. You you live for these moments. You want to be nervous. You want to be anxious. You want to be a little bit fearful about all of those possibilities. It's much, much better than having the season done and dusted and you're talking about, oh yeah, this this guy finished the year well and hopefully next year goes okay for us. We're in a position now where we've still got, hopefully, a chapter to write on this journey. uh, you wouldn't trade that feeling for uh, for anything. As much as we wish that the uh, the finals berth was already secured, uh, but we will obviously watch with with nerves and anticipation. But a 15-point loss to the other uh, West Coast Eagles, where unfortunately the Saints very very wasteful in front of goal right when it mattered most. Uh, H, your summation of that, I, I must admit, I, I know it's um it's difficult in lockdown, but just wanted to go for a. Uh, a long, long walk after that game, but um, such is the frustrations of the year. You can't.
1: Yeah, just just add it to that list of games that were there for us to take, but yeah, we just couldn't quite do it in the end. It's it's just one of those what if years at the moment. And if and hopefully we're not looking back next week, going well. What if this happened? So we got something to look forward to next week, but. I mean, yeah, I mean, West Coast is a team that you go any other time or you lost by only that much and or put up that sort of fight, you'd be like, great. But it was it was really an opportunity they take taken last week with who they were missing. And it, it, as I said, just one of those ones that we'll look back and go, hopefully that didn't cost us.
2: You, you mentioned it earlier, Parko, about how frustrating it was. And, and you're right. I think that was probably my most frustrating game of the year. Mainly because of the fact that we started pretty well. Um, and then those, those two middle quarters, you know, second and third quarters were goalless. Didn't kick a goal for two quarters in a row. And somehow at three quarter time, we're still in the game. We're only a couple of, a couple of goals down. And then miraculously, we come out firing the last, we get ahead. We're eight, 10 points up um, and, and let it slip. And normally when a team comes from behind in the last quarter and, and is able to wrestle that momentum away from the, the leading team uh, that's enough. You know, you, you've got the game then. You, you, you don't give it up. And, and somehow we managed to, to snatch defeat out of the jaws of victory once again. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it was, it was just super, super frustrating because even, even despite those, those scoreless quarters, we had more inside 50s, more clearances. We spent more, more of the game in front, even not kicking a goal for two quarters in a row. We spent more of the game in front and we still lost after getting ahead in the last quarter. And it was just, uh, yeah, uh, very frustrating. I don't know how you lose a game like that.
0: Well, we had, um, when, when we were eight points in front, or sorry, when we were seven points in front, from that point on, I think we had four scoring shots and they had four scoring shots. We kicked four behinds and they kicked four goals. And obviously there were a couple of tough misses. I mean, Max King missed a, a set shot that wasn't easy and missed a hurried snap that was um, difficult for obviously a big man. But from I guess the key moment in the game when we talk about what ifs is, Uh, When we were seven points in front, we we kicked the ball across goal. Brad Hill, who's the most skillful player in the team, picked it up 10 metres out almost directly in front. And I remember actually just thinking, watching that game, I'm like, game over. It was the one where you thought, well, we've got them on the ropes. We're just hammering them and hammering them and hammering them. And as soon as it hit Brad Hill's boot, you thought, done. 13 points up. They're not coming back from there. We've kicked five in a row or something like that. Gone. Uh, And they kicked the goal immediately from the kick-in. So they went coast to coast and kicked the goal. And then they went straight out of the centre bounce and kicked the goal. So they probably had three possessions in 30 seconds and kicked two goals. And all of a sudden, the game was over the other way. And just the deflating nature of that, where it was like, and it's not putting it all on, on Brad Hill, obviously, because they kicked six goals, 14. But it went from the ball was in our hands, the game is over, to 30 seconds later, the game was over. But the other way, and it was um, extraordinary.
1: Yeah, look, looking back at the third quarter, I sort of sort of think that might have been more the opportunity we missed. Um, it seems like that end was probably the better end to be kicking to. Um, and we've gone out and well, we won that quarter four points to three. Hmm. It, it's, we changed two to three of those goals, well, points to goals, and the game turns on its head completely. Um, it's... Just opportunity. That's that's the one thing we wasted. And yeah, um, we've been so good in front of goal up until around about this point. I mean, I've noticed a few teams are probably starting to drop off a bit now, it seems. But we were the best kicking team in the league and we've fallen back to the pack a bit now, it seems. So just, yeah, those opportunities, if we'd taken them, we'd be in a different situation right now.
2: Yeah, I mean, you're both right. I mean, Parker, like you said, you can't, you can't blame it on Brad Hill, even though that goal, how he kicked kick that goal? It's probably game over. Um, but the, the, the reality is that between, you know, we, we kick 6-14, between Max King and Zach Jones, that's zero goal, seven behinds. Any one of those really makes the difference of, of winning the game or not, because it, at some point during the game, it becomes too much, too much to overcome, too much for them to keep running, too much to keep chasing. Um, and... You know, we we just we shot ourselves in the foot again. And you know, the first half of the year we were so good, like you said, H. We were so good, we were so efficient. You know, we moved the ball in and we were taking shots from from parts of of the ground that that are very effective, very efficient parts of the ground. The goal to, square. To, to, <laughs> yeah, that's right. To, to to take shots from. And I think over the last few weeks, it's, it's not just this week. You know, we kicked eleven fourteen against Melbourne, uh, or against Hawthorne, I should say. Um, and and you know over the last month, I think our our kicking has has gone back to you know gone back to average probably regressed a, a fair way. Um, I wonder if that's you know we, we spoke last week about the potential of the young the young group getting tired um, and that the delivery of ball into forward fifty is not as good as it was in the first half of the year um, and, and our goal kicking is not the same. I wonder if our guys are just just cooked mm.
0: Yeah, I hope not. I mean, you you look at the the nature of it. I mean, we had a four-day break, but so did they. And and they'd had a lot of quick turnarounds, but you never know know exactly how one side would handle it and how another will. I mean, statistically speaking, the first 10 minutes of every quarter, we dominated of of all four quarters and then got outplayed after that. I actually sort of looked it up in the first 10 minutes of of every quarter. Even though we didn't score in the second quarter, we we actually dominated the first eight to 10 minutes of it. We had seven or eight inside fifties in a row. And I worked out in the first 10 minutes of all four quarters of the game, we had 28 inside 50s to four and kicked five goals eight to a point in the first 10 minutes of of those of each quarter of the game. And then I think we kicked one goal six to nine goals ten for the, the rest of the game. So what we put that down to, I'm not 100% sure, but obviously this week we've got an eight-day break, whereas the Giants have a six-day break. So hopefully eight-day break, four-day break, eight-day break means that the two freshen-ups just helps them a little bit, but yeah, clearly those inside 50 to, you know, the getting at the 60, 70, it had a lot of the 2019 type thing about it where it would be quite bomby without direction and, uh, and then scrambling shots at goal under pressure. And I think they spoke about how it was one of our guys, that we had on the analytical guys from the club, whose name escapes me, said that our set shot accuracy was actually pretty good. It was our mm. general play accuracy that was a concern. And, and that was clearly the case on the weekend. We missed so many snaps and hurried shots at goal. Um, you know, the majority of our goals sort of came either in a scramble in a goal square or from, you know, opportunistic set shots like memory in the first quarter. So just got to get a little bit more direction. But so we've only got to get it right one more time and and you still get the feeling that, you know, if you could get it right that one time and then have a week off and then play a final, you'd be a chance against anybody in that first week on the back of it. But I guess full stopping that one before we look at GWS uh, votes, we're doing it in the um, ascending order, aren't we, Nick? Uh, What did you want to, what did you want to look at vote wise?
2: Yeah, that's right. And just before we get, just before you get to that, shout out to, um, Darren O'Shaughnessy, who's the analytics guy that, that you mentioned, yeah. Parker, who came on our show uh, very early this year or very late last year and gave us great insight into what an analyst at a footy club does and trade period and draft and all that sort of stuff. So get around that uh, and have a listen if, if you're interested. But yeah, votes votes was tough. I, I did find it really tough. Um, I gave one vote to Jack Sinclair. Um, I thought his, his ball use and the way that he moved the ball forward was was very good. Um, Brad Hill again had a, a, I guess, a bit of a down week after the, the couple of weeks earlier where he'd been he'd been pretty good. Uh, but I thought this was this was certainly not his best game. And Jack Sinclair picked up the slack on on the wing in that regard. I gave two to Hunter Clark, two and three. These two and three could have been switched. Really, I thought Hunter Clark and Jack Steele were, were the two best players on the ground. Um, Clark just continues to impress with his toughness and his ability to. To find the ball, but also the way that he gets it, he's a lot harder than he than he used to be. I think in his first couple of years, he, he kind of didn't put the head over the ball enough. Um, but right now, he's, he he does everything right: head over the ball, hits the player, hits the contest, and and delivers beautifully. Um, he got the two votes, and Jack Steele, yeah, just does everything. I don't think I need to say much about what Jack Steele does for us. He's just uh, just on the verge of being a superstar.
1: Yeah, uh, Sinclair is not. I, I, I noticed him a bit during the game. I was was a bit like, okay, he had a good game. It wasn't really one. I actually looked at the votes of it. You've mentioned him now. And I'm sort of like, yeah, he could have got in there, but uh, I actually go in. I actually only went one to Jack Steele. I I felt like he, he, he does what he does. Um, I mean, we love it. We absolutely love it. He, he he could almost get three every week, the way he plays. Um, I just didn't feel he had the, as much influence on the game that he has previous weeks um he gave like great service as as we see every week, but it just didn't he, it just didn 't have that big impact that he usually does have um two to i agree with clark gave him the two um great game gave us a lot of use of the ball down back gave, moves it beautifully moved through to moves moved through to midfield beautifully as well um for impact on the game, I actually gave three to Paddy Ryder. He, I don't think he only matched Nick Nat. I feel like he actually beat him. He gave us first use where we could. Um, he, in parts of the game, I felt like he actually took Nick Nat out of the game and, and he just, I just didn't feel like he, had, he normally does. Um, but, yeah, he took some real crucial marks. He took, kicked the pretty crucially. Um, but, yeah, just just took control of the game. And, yeah, it, it pretty much showed Nick Nat the way to do it. But, yeah, he worked with the midfielders, it feels like. So I, I really did like what he did for the game. Yeah, I, I thought, thought he was good, great. Paddy
2: Ryder. Yeah. Uh, I thought he was
1: good.
2: Three quarters, but I think that last quarter, Nick Nat, I mean, that was one of the differences in that last quarter, which is why, I mean, he was very close to a vote, certainly very close to a vote. But that last quarter, Nick Nat just, te- just seemed to own the, just uh, away from us.
0: Yeah, I had Ryder and, and Sinclair certainly very close to vote. So I actually gave one vote to Dougal Howard, who I thought played a pretty solid game for us. Obviously, that rundown. Uh, In the goal square, obviously, that denied the Eagles a goal in the third term. And some of his defensive efforts in the last couple of weeks have been pretty solid. So that one vote could have gone a number of ways. But I squeezed Dougal Howard in for that one. I gave two votes to Jack Steele, again, for his consistent influence around the ball. Solid as a rock and uh, really makes mistakes and and set up a lot of scores in that last quarter. And three votes to to Hunter Clark. He'd been pretty quiet uh, the week before against Hawthorne. was, I think, rested... Uh, for the, uh, rested for one game along the way there, the Brisbane game, I think, and then it was a bit quiet against Melbourne and uh, obviously going back into the middle had a really big influence. So for, for me, uh, three votes to Hunter Clark, two to Jack Steele and, and one to Dougal Howard as we bring in our special guest who had enormous success at Hawthorne, but holds a very, very special place in the hearts of St Kilda supporters, I speak of Russell Green. <laughs>
3: Takes the mark. Is ten. Kick to centre half four. Jelly unmarked. Fancy a rover mark. Green
4: Hunt is unmarked. The short passes is to Rex Hunt. Oh. Well, this
5: does give to Kildare a chance.
0: Well, our next special guest was a 300-game player. Played 120 of those with the Saints before an additional 184 with Hawthorn, which included three premierships and MVP of the competition. A three-time All-Australian, a Best and fairest. The Hawks and an AFL Life member did return to St Kilda in a uh, in a fitness uh, capacity during the other uh, 90s as well, and a, a very uh, popular Saints over the journey. I speak of Russell Green. Russell, thanks for very much for your time,
3: Darren and Aaron. Thank you very much for having um, me on tonight. Um, uh, I jump at things like this. Uh, Uh, St Kilda were very good to me when I, well, they sacked me halfway through one year, but um, all those, the years prior to it were a lot of fun and I got a lot of good memories. And um, unfortunately, one of the boys who I played alongside for a number of years, Jeff Dunn, is very unexpectedly at the age of 64, has passed away. Um, He was a fantastic player, dual best and fairest in consecutive years. Just a wonderful player. So um, our hearts go out to his uh, family and uh, all those who know him, and all who killed him. And I'm sure the boys will be wearing their um, black armbands this week. And if the boys play exactly the way Dunny played, I'm sure the Saints will have a victory.
0: Yeah, I guess can you sort of sum that up for us? Played a hundred games for the club, as you said. He won a best and fairest in '79 and '80. So your second last and then ultimately uh, final year at the club. One of the Ballarat crew, the one of the rich Ballarat crew that St Kilda recruited through the late 70s and the early to mid 80s. But uh, can you, you paint the, the Jeff Dunn picture? I obviously, wore number 48 for a while, which is a very high AFL number before settling on a, a single-digit number eight a bit later on. But uh, can you take
3: us through through Jeff Dunn? Yeah, well, he's just an exceptional player. Yeah. Um, Playing at Pitcher, I think he... I could be wrong, but I reckon he... If he was playing today's footy off the halfback flank or the back pocket, uh, the way it's dispersed now, the way they go laterally, um, Dunny would average 35, 40 touches a week. He was just used to be able to always get into the right spot. Um, And I think if you go through Wikipedia and look at his stats, he'd be around... um, 20-plus positions a week, which when we play, Darren, if you average 20 positions a week as an on-baller, you're doing exceptionally well. And he was averaging that up back. Now, with that type of flair and flamboyant type of play, um, sometimes the little Rovers might kick a couple of goals, but... Um, his ability to get the ball feed it off and use it in a positive manner far outweighed the other side where the, the occasional goal would seep through. But he was an amazing player, head over the footy, attacking, uh, good skills, never wasted the ball, uh, and a fantastic team player. Had a great mate of Graham Jelly, who in 1978, actually, Dunny was um, uh, Crowy, Graham Jelly's nickname was Crowy, he won the best and fairest in 78. And I think they were best men at each other's weddings. So uh, Crowe's just had a, a hip replacement and he's got gout, and, which is not allowing him to do his rehab. So he's in a bad place at the moment. We're all getting behind him because he's an absolute fantastic person. But getting back to Dunny, uh, amazing player. Number eight, yeah, I always wore long sleeves. I don't think I ever saw him once in short sleeves, like a bit like a Michael Tuck.
2: Yeah, no, all the best to, uh, to the Dunn family and, and the Jelly family, as, as you just said, Russell. But let's, let's go back to the beginning. You were 15 when you were recruited to St Kilda. You made your debut as a 16-year-old. What, what was that like?
3: Nick, there was no money in, in when we played. Um, I think I played 22 games my first year in 1974, and I think it was a, a cultural rule. But yeah, the VFL, then you had to, I think, it was $45 a game. I think my paycheck at the end of the year was uh, $1,200, but I would have done it for nothing, Nick. Um, there was a lot of the boys from Frankston um, who would come up and train uh, and play. Um, one of my teachers, John Locco, uh, actually try, try, tried out at St Kilda, I think in 1974 also, but he did his knee to an ACL. Uh, He used to drive me to training. If I couldn't get the training, uh, by a lift, I would catch a train uh, to Morabin, get off the train and walk across the road. And there was this uh, fish and chip shop. And I'm still uh, good mates with a fellow called Jim who... Jim's fish and chip shop, <laughs> I'd have a couple of dim sims and a couple of potato cakes before training. So it was very, uh, very little bit different to what it is now, of course, dietitians and that, that sort of thing. But yeah, it was, it was a different world. And all I wanted to do, Nick, ever since I was a young kid, was to play a game of, a, of VFL football, AFL football as it is known now. And um, I was a mad Collingwood supporter. But as soon as I was drafted by uh, a fellow called John Isles, who was re- recruiting one of the three full-time staff at the club at that at that stage, uh, John Isles, and another uh, fellow called um, Ian Drake, who was, who was actually ran the place. Uh, nicknamed Porridge, for obvious reasons. If you ever seen Uncle Toby's uh, uh, Porridge thing, that's what Porridge, great fellow. Um, yeah, very fortunate, great memories, still have a lot of... Uh, fond memories and a lot of good mates who um, who I was involved in at that time.
1: So, as Nick was saying, you get there very young. Um, a couple of the premiership players were still hanging on at that point at the club. There was a few of the younger ones who played in the premiership. Um, the who who were some of the ones you looked up to when you first got there? Who who did any take you under your, the under their wing or how, how did you yeah, absolutely? How you fit in?
3: Yeah, um, a fellow called well, Cat Colin Gary Colin still uh, a great mate of mine. Um, and he actually taught me in a little um, Volkswagen column, not Colin shift on the on the floor drive to uh, training. That's how I actually got my license. Uh, Cat. Uh, took me under his wing in that regard. He was a Frankston fella, 265 games plus captain of the side uh, in one year, 1978, I think. Just a fantastic fella. And it's people like those who I, I still um, remain close to. Uh, he was fantastic. But the premiership players who were still there were uh, Minot, Bugsy Moran, um, Cowboy Breen. Neil, Brini was there, Breen, Yeah. And they were all. Nurturing, fantastic fellas. Um, I never, ever heard any of them uh, bag bagging. You know, it was just a, a fantastic environment. And you had the Ellen Jeans influence still there. They were tight. They had nucleus the of, um, you know, that, that premiership unit that most of them were getting near the end. Uh, Dittrich, I think, came back in 78. And here's a blast for you boys. Um, something that you probably wouldn't realise in... Now Bob Murray came back and played. Uh, he was VFA then, but the, if there was a bye or something like that in the VFA, in the VFA, you could come back and uh, rock it. Um, Bob Murray came back for one game, um, and also the great number three, Ross Smith, my um, coach down the track in 1977. So I played with quite a handful of the the superstars, out at St Kilda and, and premiership players. And hopefully this year, they'll have another 22 and join them.
0: Yeah, we've been waiting for that for a while, I guess. But 1978, always an interesting year to, to talk about from a St Kilda point of view. They, they started so well, obviously won five of the first seven. There was a, a somewhat controversial or famous win against Essendon at we're and then for whatever reason the wheels fell off, and then the wheels were put back on again. We we want to stack of games at the end of the year against really good opposition, and, and just missed the finals. Was nineteen seventy eight a big missed opportunity yep. for the? Um,
3: we started off really really well, and then there was a bit of a lull. I think it was about six or seven games that we dropped. Now you know what the real turning point was. You probably don't realise is that I missed the last six games, and they won every. Game after after that, so I'm out injured. I had a knee done, had to, um, had to beat Carlton at the end of the last game, and then I think one other side, Geelong, was playing Fitzroy or someone like that. And but there was an upset, and so the, the Saints missed that. And I honestly believe if St Kilda got in that year, um, they would have been a, they had tremendous momentum going. Um, side bottom, George Young. Uh, Crowy, he was uh, Dunny. Everyone was firing, and um, it was just a shame that they missed out. Well, the Saints missed out
2: in that last game. Russell, so what was that the evolution of the club like? From you mentioned when you joined the club, there was still that kind of nucleus of of premiership players and and those old heads, and then guys like you, you came in, and and some of the other the other kids, Jeff Dunne, like like we said earlier. What was that evolution of his time through the 80s for St Kilda? What was it like towards that that kind of the middle and the end of the 70s?
3: Yeah, well, Alan Jeans left Nick and he he retired and Ross Smith came on board, who I love, absolutely love. He's a fantastic fellow. Uh, but bit by bit, all the senior players uh, left the club um, or, or retired. And I think the aunt, you know, there was Barks, there was me, there was... Um, Robert Muir, Volperovic, um, and amongst, there's a path there. And if you're going to have success, you must have really, really strong leaders. Your administration must be rock solid. Coaching staff must be fanned. When I first started there, that was the case. But then Z retired um, and senior players dropped away. And all of a sudden, apart from... Barks. There probably wasn't much leadership there, and then if it's, it's Alan Jeans used to paint out he was amazing. His um, pre-match speeches and so forth, and um, a lot of analogies. And he said leadership is like having a piece of string. If you grab it from the top and you drag it along, everything else follows. It's nice and straight. Everyone's in, in or everyone's on board. But if you have no leadership and things push up from the bottom, everything buckles, and there's no continuity or anything. Um, yeah, so that's the biggest thing that I, I found. There was uh, not a lot of leadership. Um, as you mentioned, Nick, a lot of the senior players retired, and moved on. Um, Carl Dietrich, after 78, went back to Melbourne again. George Young went home uh, to Western Australia. Uh, I think Rex Hunt retired. was It was, a, it was a, a lot of movement, not a lot of stability. So... And I think that is reflected. If you don't have the administration coaching staff and your senior players rock solid, um, it's it's pretty hard to have success.
1: Now, you just mentioned Rex Hunt's name. It was actually a name that I was going to bring up in a bunch of a few different players. I was, I was going to mention you've got a fair range of players who have done different things after playing for the club. So, I mean... As you're saying, Rex, you finished up just before you finished up. Um, Big Malthouse was aimed just starting up in before he headed off to Richmond later on. You had Rex, who later we know became a media superstar. You had the likes of Bill Meldenhall, who moved over to pl- become an NBL referee. You had yeah. Mordecai Bromberg, who's now high in the court system. So it's, it's quite a range of interesting people that you've played with. Um, but who who would be at the top there that you go, okay, that that they were just. They're either strange or they were just uh, just someone really interesting to be around.
3: Well, Aaron, left out one of the most intriguing ones. Now, remember Chris Stone? Chris Stone, Stone
4: yeah,
3: yeah. 15, 20 games, or maybe that's been too uh, complimentary. I'm not sure how many games. But he's now married to a princess or the prime minister mm. of what? Yeah, yeah, yep. So Sweden Stone or Norway was, or something? Yeah, so he's, yes, he's done pretty well. Um, Mickey Malthouse is one of the best Blokes you could ever meet. Um, he he moved from from Saints to, to Richmond because um, Wayne Judson was doing so well in the back pocket. And then boys, when we played, if you were a halfback flanker, you played on the halfback flank. If you were a wingman, you played on the wing. Uh, if you're a half forward flank, you didn't. It's not like it is now, like full on utilities. Everybody's virtually has to play, unless you're a key position player. You play in those positions, but everyone else now. You go everywhere. Whereas if um, Mick Moldhouse, they wouldn't play Mick Moldhouse on the halfback flank. They wouldn't play him on the wing. He was a back pocket player. So that's where... where, um... And Wayne Judson was um, my first year. He came second, I think, in the best and fairest after Glenn Elliott and was probably four years in a row Victorian representative. So Mick found it hard to break into uh, on a regular basis. So he went to Richmond. Um, who were the other, what was the other, uh, Aaron, the other blokes? Um, oh, Huntie, Huntie, Hunt, Hunt, Hunt was, um, now what you see is what you get with Rex Hunt. I remember even before we were running out, he was cracking jokes and stuff like that. He was just, he was just, but once he was out on the ground, obviously he took it very seriously and he played in two flags with, um, with the Tigers, then went to Geelong, then I think he came second in the Brandlow one year, maybe, and then he's, he's, he ended up with, with us. And he, he went on to his fishing career, which is um, absolutely amazing. Morty Bromberg, uh, I think Morty played about 15, or maybe Ward number 15 after Morris O'Keefe left. So, yeah, Morty played a handful of games, 20, but a really nice, really nice fellow, and he's now a high court judge. Yeah, so... Um, I can't say they were quaint or anything like that, but uh, there's not one bloke who I—oh, actually, there is—but I won't bring that up. Um, who, oh, yeah, if I saw him on the other side of the street, I'd certainly walk across and say, "How are you doing?" And stuff like that. But um, yeah, I, I had a great time at the Saints, and um, and it wasn't their fault that I got the sack; it was mine. So I have no axe to grind with the Saints.
0: A couple of things on that. I mean, I won't touch on the move in a minute because obviously that's an era of football that's different now where you can play for two clubs effectively in the same season with a move like that. But I remember watching the, the Passion to Play, which is a documentary they made about 20 odd years ago and you were one of the uh, those that were interviewed in that. And you spoke about the obviously the difference. You were at Hawthorne later, a very successful club, won premierships, won most weeks. You came from St Kilda who were losing most weeks and and struggling down near the bottom of the ladder and I think you were teaching physical education at school through all of that because it was in an era where you weren't full-time footballers. As you say, there wasn't a lot of money in it. What was it like then where you, you lose a game, you go to work and admittedly they're probably kids but... Uh, we, we I think it now, if St Kilda lose a game, I go to work and you'll have people that'll hang it on you. What if you're a player? I mean, I guess for those players now, there'd be no notion of playing football on a Saturday and then going to work on a Monday. Did, did you cop sort of much much stick or even much praise during that journey?
3: Yeah. Um, the kids, uh, Darren, are very honest. Uh, I taught at Melbourne Grammar for 30 years. Um uh, I played there. I was working there when uh, I won, well, not one, but was involved in three wooden spoons. So we didn't win many matches. I think one year when Smithy was coach, we won one and drew two. Uh, Mike Patterson, 79, I think we only won a handful. Yeah, so, but the kids are honest and they'll, they'll just they'll just give it to you. How come you didn't get a kick? How come you played on Dacos and he kicked six on you and stuff? So, uh, yeah. It certainly certainly kept you, you grounded. So, um, but I wouldn't change it change it for anything. Um, Darren, I also remember when we at, at the Hawks when we won the flag in '83. Um, I went to work on Monday, and the footy season had obviously just finished, and they made a little special uh, in '83. Also, um, boys, I was off the alcohol from the first of January all the way through uh, to the grand final night. Um, and the senior master, Kevin Harwood, um, he is the reason why I started at St Kilda anyway, um, Kevin Harwood. And he got out one of the school trophies and filled up with beer. So he's called me out. So this is nine o'clock in the morning at Melbourne Grammar, day after the, two days after the grand final. And uh, he said, Oh, Russell, we want to make a, you know, you, we realise which you, you may, Sacrifices to, to achieve your goals and that type. We've got a trophy here, um, and it's it's just got some lemonade in it. And so, I'm going. I'm just replicating what we did Grand Final day. And up we go. Oh geez. There must have been a couple of VB cans in there. So um, it was. And you got you got kids out there. I think I'm drinking lemonade. And uh, yeah, but to answer your question, kids are honest. They don't beat around the bush. Um, they, they tell you the way it is. And that's, that's why I really, really appreciate it. But fortunately, I had more better games and really, really, really bad ones.
2: Russell, walk us through what happened in 1980. You played eight games for the club and, and then all of a sudden you're at Hawthorne. You, you alluded to the fact that the club sacked you. What, what happened in 1980? Okay, so
3: first eight games, Nick, um, at... Playing for the Saints, the eighth and final game was down at uh, Kadinia Park. I'm not quite sure what it's called now, down at um, Geelong anyway. And And, um, played on a bloke called Mickey Turner and I must have got my pants pulled down again. And trained all week for uh, the Saints, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday under the the great Jeza Linko, Alex. And picked in the team to play against Footscray. Um, I drive home from Linton Crescent to my house six, seven minutes. So I've gone from being told I'm playing on Doug Hawkins. Um, six or seven minutes later, I get home and my wife, Roxy, goes, don't go anywhere because um, we had a dog who used to take him for a walk when I got home. She said, Don Scott is ringing you. We go, who's Don Scott? She says, well, he says he's from the Hawthorne Football Club. Um, I'm going, are you serious? So, anyway, I hung around for a couple of minutes. He rang back. Um, he probably said about half a dozen words. Be down in to Morabin tomorrow, see Ian Drake. He's got your boots. You are now a Hawthorne player. I'm going, what? You're kidding. So, anyway, I'll go down there at 10 o'clock. Um, Ian Drake, who, who helped recruit me, I mean, I'm from Frankston with him, and he had a bit of a tear. I had a bit of a tear and gave me my one pair of footy boots, I think I had, um, and that was it. And then off we go to, I had to go um, meet uh, the chairman of selectors at Hawthorne um, and with David Parkin that night. And so on the Saturday morning, I roll up at Roxy and I roll up at Waverley Park where the players park. We get out of the car. Uh, the car, bloke on my left and the bloke on my right got out at the same time. And I looked to my left, and it's a bloke called Stephen Nick. He played for North Melbourne, um, a premiership player at North Melbourne. And he's looked at me, he's going, what are you doing? And then Lee Matthews is on my right, and Lee was vice-captain, so he wasn't privy to match committee decisions. And I just looked, at I said, Icky, mate, the game's been changed, mate. You're at the wrong game. He's going, what are you talking about? <laughs> mate, it's... Uh, no, I said, look, mate, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm with a chunky little fella here. So the strangest sensation of all time, um, Lee off, Lee, well, I think Lee must have walked in with me. Nicky, off he went. Stephen, off he went. And Roxy and I, at th- those days, you only had to be in the room one hour prior to the game. Now it's two, two and a half hours. So I sat up in the grandstand where the players sit. I didn't sit with the Hawthorne blokes. Um, I sat aside from them. Because I've been playing for seven and a half years. Um, I knew most of the blokes and they knew me and they kind come looked look at me going, go, what are you doing here? So anyway, at five to one, um, grabbed my bag, walked down through the gate onto the Waverley Oval, um, up the race, um, walked into a, another world. Um, I, I still don't remember who they, they said, here's your jumper. Um, a bloke called Warren Lees um, wore 29 and he had left that year. Um so that was vacant. So they said here's your here's your jumper. But the worst thing was um when I got there, Nick, it was um they won six and lost two. Um my first game became six three, six wins, three losses. My second game, six four, my third game six five, the sixth game, uh, my fourth game six six. All of a sudden, oh God, I'm thinking everyone's going, oh, what's going on here? So my first win as a St Kilda player, guess who I played against?
1: As, as Hawthorne, you mean? As as or at a, yeah. a
3: Hawthorne
2: player. Yeah. Would have been against the Saints, I'm Saints.
3: guessing. The Saints. I <laughs> played the Saints out at... Um... Now, I've never hit anybody in my life, ever. Um, and I remember running out, and I, I tease my... Because I've been there for seven and a half years, and I'm with a different group. Um, they're not winning games. Saints aren't winning games. I just had so many memories, um, some really, really good mates still playing there, Grant Thomas. I've never ever hit anyone. I hit, I whacked Grant Thomas in the back of the head. We went for a, a mark or something. I rolled over and he's given me three or four and I said, no, that's enough, no more, no more. So that was the only punch I ever threw in my life on the footy field. But yeah, it was um, very, very strange. Going from one club you've been at for seven and a half years and, and you loved, um, and then being moved on overnight, and I still haven't been told the reason why I got. Oh look, I had a rough, diet, rough idea. As I mentioned before, there was not much leadership at the club, and I probably did a lot of uh, silly things. So, but as I mentioned, it wasn't the boys' fault, but at the club, it was it was my fault.
1: But yeah, so eventually you, you got to come back to the club again, though, like in towards the late 90s um, in a coaching fitness role at the club. Do you want to run us through what your role there was and how, how it all panned out and who? Yep, what, yep. basically what you did
3: there? Well, Stuart, Trott, who was my captain, I think, in my first or second year, he was football director. And um, I was at North Melbourne in a similar capacity for a couple of years. And he just said, look, Matt, would you like to come back? close to home your old, club, your old club were looking for someone down the track to you know take over the fitness thing there was two other boys there in 96 and i was just an assistant to them uh, and then i was given the gig in 97 um, the only soft tissue we had was uh, um i think it was max Hutchton we were doing some series of uh Surges and sprints down at Dendy Park, and that was the only um, only soft tissue uh, injury we had. Now you know um, Robbie Harvey's nickname. Do you know what his nickname is? Banger. Banger. Banger he, sure. Yeah, yeah. he always used to do his hamstring. Never did one my entire time. We got to, we got through to the grand final, um, and then after the grand final, got called into the CEO's office and he said, look, um, you are now the, res- the rehab coach for the reserves. Uh, I'm going, oh, okay, all right. So, yeah, so I, did, I spent three years. So I thought I did a pretty good job with a bloke called uh, John Moncrief, but he got moved on halfway through the year too because of a uh, personality clash with probably the person who... Relegated me from my position to another position. So anyway, but there's not, no 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 uh hard feelings at all. So I don't think he coached staff for that. But anyway, no drama.
0: <laughs> I think that's fair. Um, I guess the final one from. Me, I know you're um, that's one thing that stood out again in that documentary was you obviously your genuine love of the game and how you wanted to sort of keep playing, and how it was obviously very difficult to, to let go of the you know the fitness and the routine and and all of that sort of stuff. Um, I guess, how important has the game been to you effectively since you you gave it up? And I guess that the, the second part of that question uh, your relationship with, with Alan Jeans, who obviously you started with, and then Finished with. He always spoke about the biggest challenge he ever faced was telling players that their time was up. He probably had that conversation with you in the late '80s. Um, how did you go with with Yab?
3: Yeah, absolutely, uh, an amazing man. Darren, do you know why he's called Yabby? Uh,
0: I have heard the story, but I'm at a, I'm at a blank to it at the moment.
3: Yeah, he's um he came came from Finley. and yeah. his older brother um, his older brother's named Lobster. Right. So, <laughs> Yabby being younger, so called called Yabby. Uh, the most amazing man in, in footy and probably in life that I've, I've ever ever met. Um, spoke to him, we used to go, a whole a lot of players used to go and have lunch at his place. Um, once he and Mary, once they moved out of Cheltenham, they went to a retirement village. Um, we'd, we'd, we'd go and visit him, uh, one of the most amazing People uh, honest, brutally honest. He um, didn't duck from the from the hard hard decisions. Um, in, I went and saw him in '87, Darren. The night prior, the night he had his aneurysm. so he missed the entire year. Um, Alan Joyce came on board. We won the flag in '88, um, which turned out to be my last game. I get a phone call from a bloke called John Hook, who was a football manager. He rang me on a Sunday. Uh, a week after the grand final, he's still you know as high as a kite. And hooky said, are "You playing next year, greenie? I said, "Oh yeah, mate, because we, we really wanted to go back to back. We missed out in '84, um, '87. We missed out, and we, so we won '88. And hopefully, we we'll get back back to back." So I said, "Yep, I, I really, really want to play." And is it? Isn't, well, I've had two knee replacements. Um, I was gone. I was shot, but it's just an, an adrenaline rush to be able to play finals. Um, he hung up two seconds later. They must have been in match committee, unless it was a huge, huge coincidence. So, Yabby's ran. He said, hey, son, congratulations, congratulations. So oh, thanks, Yab. We're gonna win back to back, mate. We're gonna win back to back. He said, I don't believe that it is possible, it is possible, but you're not gonna be on board. Now, I've gone, what, what, what when am I gonna be on board? He said, listen, son, you've got a premiership medallion for Stephen. Got a permission now you're for Brent and now one for Angie three is enough for you um, you've had an amazing career um, I want you to coach the under nine owns oh go oh yeah anyway we finished yeah you know, it was very pleasant there was no no swearing or anything like that so at this stage yabby hadn't been reinstated as the senior coach so I rang Alan Joyce who coached in uh, that 88 premiership. so I said Joyce um Am I in your plans for next year? It's exactly the same as this year. You're good enough to get a game, you get a game. That was it. So I was hoping that he would get the nod. Uh, but in reflection, Darren, I mean, I would, every Tuesday night, I would go to Vimy House, which is a uh, private hospital in in Hawthorne, and I would have my left knee drained. I could only train on the Thursday. Um, I knew I was gone, but the just to be able to play footy and um, and I still have dreams of being called up to come back and play. I'm frantic look, looking for my footy boots, my mouth guard. And, yeah, it was, maybe if I went out on my own terms, I, I, I wouldn't ha- have these ongoing. And I still have them, you know, um, 30-odd years after. Um, it was just such a – even, you know, wooden spoons and the other stuff that I was fortunate to be involved in. You know, it, it all shapes you as a, as a person. Um, you get to deal with real life matters probably a little, little bit better than if you didn't have those, you know, uh, huge, you know, wooden spoons aren't pleasant to win. Um, but they all shape you as a person. And I'm very, very fortunate. I would have played for nothing. I virtually did anyway. But um, I just loved footy as a kid. Um People ask me about the St Kilda Footy Club and the Hawthorne Footy Club. I say, look, um, St Kilda, I refer to St Kilda as like a, an old old girlfriend. You respect her immensely. You have a lot of respect for her. Um, you're good friends with her. But um, being a Hawthorne person, um, being involved with what I was involved in, yeah, I'm married to the, the Hawthorne Footy Club, but I still have a huge amount. I'm a paid-up member paid up <laughs> of the uh, the past players, um, still uh, associate with a lot of blokes. And if I could just say this, uh, Darren, Nick, and Aaron, um, when you get to my age, it's so important that you have some some bond. Uh, it could be a golf club, a tennis club. Um, so important. Now, I'm very fortunate. I've got two, two AFL clubs you know, who are very close to my heart. And the older you get, the more you appreciate. So if you've got any old blokes out there watching... Not necessarily you don't have to be footballers, but for God's sake, you have some involvement because if you haven't got those those structures in place, pretty hard to set up when you're 70, 75 to get involved, from, involved in a golf club or a footy club or something like that. So, any club that you can be involved in, any grouping of blokes or females or whatever, is so important. So, um, there's just all the the
2: old blokes out there. Beautiful advice, and I reckon that's the second time in a couple of weeks we've had a, a Yabby Jeans impersonation. Is a, they're pretty Russell close Morris. actually. We had Russell Morris a couple of weeks ago, did a did one that was very similar.
3: Oh yeah. Now, did do you know why he's called the Fly?
2: He did tell us. He gave us yeah, a one so cool story. Fly.
3: Beautiful story. <laughs> yeah. It was when, um, he was Fly is the great mate of, of Chris Langford's. Now, the Fly would be up and about you know prior to a game and Chris Langford would be sitting there as had five valiums this is prior even before finals and stuff like that so it was two contrasts two best mates one's as high as a social butterfly and and Langers. but uh no, Russell Morris is a fantastic player at the Saints uh he did exceptionally well there I think all Australian representative uh, obviously Victorian representative all Australian and at um Hawthorne, he was a really well-regarded person, and uh, you couldn't have anyone better as your um, president. of Your past, past players is a fantastic fella, loyal, uh, unconditional support for everybody. No, he's, he's a fantastic. The fly, the social butterfly.
2: <laughs> um, last cool. one for me, Russell. But my my grandfather was a, a massive Hawthorne supporter, and and often when he was alive, told me about the fact that. When you went to Hawthorne, you became just organically a much better player than when you were at St Kilda and, and how much he, he loved watching you play. And the stats and, and history doesn't lie. I mean, you went on to, to win a Best and Fairest, three premierships, VFL, Most Valuable Player Award. What, what was it that changed for your game when you went to Hawthorne? Okay. I just got married, Nick.
3: Uh, I had only been married a couple of months and, um, before I got the sack. Um, Remember, initially, when we started having a chat, there's three very important ingredients when I was playing. In the administration, was rock solid at Hawthorne. Um, senior players, you had Matthews, you had Don Scott, uh, David O'Halloran, um, uh, the list, Kelvin Moore, the list just goes on and on. So the younger blokes, once they were involved in that environment, really blossomed. But you also got to remember, Nick, that the young blokes that came on board um, with John Platton, um, Chris Langford, Chris Mute, Gary Buchananara, The list, list goes on and on and on and on. So although they still had those regular tuck, these type of blokes, Breton came on board as a young fella. leverage. I mean, it was just, it was like a wave. I mean, it was just a, a wave that started building from 82. Uh, we got beaten by Carlton in preliminary final. And then for the next eight out of nine years on grand finals and and won won five premierships. Um, I became a better player, um, sorry, a more consistent player at Hawthorne because every Thursday night I was on tender hooks, regardless if I played really well the week before, um, I was on tender hooks because the depth of the club um, was immense. And Genezie always used to say, play two bad games but don't play three. Who play? Then I remember in '86 um, I got drop played on Alan Ezard. I kept him the four goals in the first quarter, and then that was it. I got moved, or oh, you didn't get moved. You got sat, sat on the bench. So then the next six weeks um, I'm in the twos, and I was just doing anything possible to get back in. So the the team batted really, really deeply. Um, great administration. Ron Cooker was the president of Hawthorne Footy Club he he wasn't at that meeting when I um, was, uh, when Don Scott rang he was not at the meeting so his um, proxy was a bloke called Trevor Coote who went with the match committee to, for me to come across so I ran into Ron six weeks after I got to Hawthorne he came up to me I didn't know who he was and he put his hand out shook my hand said Russell I'm Ron Cook I'm the president grab me grab my um, uh, hand and pushed me really close to his chest and he said, I've got to tell you something, if I wasn't sick, if I wasn't in hospital you wouldn't be here and I've got, oh god, well, fairly honest, like that fella <laughs> so, um, but we became great mates after that, but the administration senior players um, uh, the board the whole thing, they all gelled together all worked together and that was, as I mentioned Nick, you, you had five all Australians coming to the side as young kids and, and we played as a team. It, there was no individuals. It was just, you know, looked after each other, helped each other um, We amazing camaraderie. Every fortnight we go into the city, um, watch a movie together, take all the young kids in, just do some bonding and stuff like that, which now probably doesn't seem that much, but in those days it was, it was uh, the way it was, so I was just very fortunate to be involved in, in two clubs, um, and uh, I've got great memories. And as Yabby, another one, another Yabbyism. Um, all you got, son, after you finish, is your memories. Make sure they're good ones. So, vast majority of my memories, uh, Nick, are, 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 are pleasant ones. Well,
0: Russell, uh, love your uh, probably your ran my
3: wife always. Uh, tell-
0: yeah, what one wonderful career, three hundred game player, as we say, and um. Yeah, thank you very much for, for joining us. It's, uh, it's an infectious uh, love of the game and, and I think we can all relate to it. So we, uh, we very much appreciate uh, all you did for the, the Saints and then for giving us your time today.
3: Yeah, thank you very much, boys,
4: Darren, Nick and Aaron. I'm happy to be in this position. We are in the eight. We have a massive opportunity right in front of us. And if you said to me, in November, you, you're only going to play 17 games, and you're going to be 9-7 with one game to go and you're in the 8, I would have said, let's take it on. How many finals have you played, 7? JB, how many finals have you played? Tim, how many finals have you played? Here's an option. And let's enjoy it. We can't look in that rear vision mirror. It's not going to change. When we learn the lessons, let's, let's look forward to this. It's exciting. It's a bit of pressure, in not it? We're we'll going to look forward to that too. Do you reckon they're going to be under pressure? Well, oh, yeah. That's what happens when you get to the pointy end of the year. It's pressures pressure on two teams of people. We'll be under a little bit of stress. But that's where we can grow and look forward to The challenge of it. a little bit of fear with it, but there's massive opportunity. Well, the,
0: first of all, it was a voice of Russell Green, and then just then Brett Ratton with his message imploring the players uh, to embrace the opportunity that sits in front of them ahead of this week against GWS which is where we turn our attention now for this contest guys and the Giants um, just about gone they'd have to beat us by 10 goals and then still have results probably go their way so hopefully they see it that way obviously uh, with a a small carrot there. You'd sense they'll still come out and fight for it. They haven't missed finals for four or five years, but but obviously look a decent chance to do so here. Uh, do they bring back Cornelio? You'd imagine Riccardi and, and those sorts of guys will play who they rested last week. For us, you'd think Carlisle has to play with Himmelberg, Cameron, Finlayson, and potentially Riccardi in that forward line. Um, and Dan Hanabry, a strong chance to come in, obviously with a loss of, of Zach Jones in the middle of the ground. So, then it comes down to balance. Do they leave out someone like Kent or, or Loney to, to bring Carlisle in at the other end and get another tall? Um, Hannabry, clearly, you'd think replaces Jones, and, and what else do they do from there? But H, um, selection wise, uh, what would you expect for, uh, for this crunch game?
1: Um, yeah, the, the obvious one is obviously Jones missing. Um, it sounds like hanbury's gonna be back in. Um, it, it's it's an interesting one to be bringing back in. I guess the experience is a is one of the keys for this week. Um, bringing Tom back in with the experience that he has in a crucial game that we're playing. It's something that hopefully will help us. Um, I mean Jones is a huge loss. He's got experience at that time of the year as well. So yeah, hopefully he can come in and actually pump us up a little bit I guess so that could be the other thing a bit of a, he's an old, old fresh legs I guess um, he's been in there training I think he's been in there he's training with Ablett and hopefully he's yeah, given a good bit of good run around and um, yeah he's ready to go he's um, but otherwise oh, I I don't know how many changes are going to be made this week it's um, go looking on last week's team it's it's it, you could make a case to drop most, a lot of plays in the team from last week. It's um, at the same time, I, I wouldn't really want to be changing too much. So it's, it's going to be a whole thing of, I think our small forwards may have been a bit of a problem. Um, I'm not sure whether weather's going to be hot or uh, well, slippery and wet or not this week, but we might want to be a bit taller again and, um, you know, and we sort of like yeah, Hind and Kent didn't didn't really have much of an impact on the game. So if if they're going to be playing, we really need a big game from them. So, but they're they pretty much the only sort of players I'd be looking at to actually be changing.
2: It really is you know a, a a final game for us. I mean we have to we have to approach it like a final. Win and we're in. Lose and we're out. I mean I, I know it's not that simple. Then there's obviously a few different machinations of. of Results that, that can kind of change the, the format of the finals. But, you know, we have to, we have to approach this game in, in that manner. Um, and, and obviously, Hanabry, that, that tough, um, you know, experienced, wise old head that, it, that he has, that, that will be very important. But it is a risk. We, we know about his injury history, especially over the last few years. And, and I, I guess they kind of have to weigh, weigh that risk up. You know, is it worth is his experience and toughness in the middle worth the possibility that he pings a hammy in the first five minutes and we're down a player for the rest of the game against, against one of the best midfields in the competition. I mean, we know that they're not playing at their best. We know they haven't had a great year, but they're still there and and thereabouts and and they've got enough talent to worry any team on their date. So, you know, we, we have to be wary. Um, so it, it it really is an interesting one. We've had a couple of questions from from listeners on socials over the over the last little while asking about Jake Carlisle. and and here's another obvious one. I, I think Carlisle should come back in. Um, why has he been out? I don't I, I can't put a finger on why he's missed the last couple of weeks. I thought originally it was around uh, match-ups um, against Melbourne. You know they they lost a couple of key forwards, and I thought maybe that's why they've they've dropped Carlisle, just for match-ups, bringing a few smaller smaller guys, medium guys in. Uh, for a bit more run you know, for their forward line. But um, the fact that he hasn't come in makes me wonder if there's maybe a little bit more to it. And uh, it's going to be really interesting to see if, if he's back in this week against, you know, what, what can be a really high powered forward line. Cause uh, you know, like I said, they haven't been at their best in, in 2020, but which, which team has, uh, but they've certainly got enough firepower to, to, to worry any team.
0: Yeah, they certainly do. And, and um. It's a thing you read their team on paper and you're bewildered by the fact that they're likely to miss the eight. But um hopefully, I mean, they've they put a few rockets up their group this year and it hasn't necessarily worked. They dropped Cornelio and then still lost the, the game to Melbourne. They, they lost to Adelaide a few days earlier. Um, so if you look at their form, who they've beaten and who they've lost to, it's a game that justifiably we would start favourites in. but. As you say, it's a huge game. It's a huge pressure game. They've been in that position before, and we haven't necessarily, which is what makes guys like Dan Hanabree and potentially Jake Carlisle so important. I know Carlisle can make mistakes, but I guess we pick four small forwards against West Coast, Kent, Pines, Loney, and Butler. Butler obviously plays, but do they pick all of those? Is Kent, who only had two possessions, potentially the one that, that makes way um, what do they do to someone like Vitale? Maybe get a crack at it in the middle. But it is a huge, huge game for us. And, and I guess if you were to listen to questions, a good way to sort of segue into those via our unplugged social channels, unplugged podcast on, on Facebook and Twitter and, and Instagram and the like. But I guess a few questions on that. Clearly, we've got to get there first. But um, Benji asked, who would we rather play first week of finals? West Coast, the Bulldogs, the Giants, Collingwood or Melbourne? If I'm working it out on fixture... Now, I'm sure every one of those teams is possible, but realistically, if I'm doing the maths properly, West Coast, Collingwood and the Bulldogs are the only realistic options, I think. We either finish eighth and play the Eagles in Perth, unless somehow uh, Adelaide beats Richmond, in which case we might play the Tigers, um, I think is a possibility. Um, But it's likely to be West Coast in Perth if we finish eighth, If we finish sixth or seventh, we would play either Collingwood or the Western Bulldogs, I would think, depending on their results. So of that group, you'd probably rather play the Bulldogs based on the fact that we beat them earlier in the year. Your second option would be Collingwood and your third option would be West Coast in Perth, obviously. Uh, The only way we play West Coast in Perth is if we lose and hang on to our spot in the eighth. So you wouldn't want to lose, say, five out of seven and then have to play the Eagles in Perth. So a win and we finish either sixth or seventh, and then play, you would think, Collingwood or the Bulldogs. So that kind of answers this. And I guess a question for both of you from Greg. Would ninth be considered a pass mark, all things considered? My gut feel offhand would be no. No,
1: no. I, I, not, not where we were sitting. That, that's sort of where we look at it. If we'd, if we'd been in the bottom mm. eight or whatever for most of the year and then finished in ninth, you'd be going, okay, we, we finished off all right. But we were sitting second on the ladder. Um, to become to finish in ninth after finishing sitting second on the ladder for almost a couple of weeks, you'd sort of go, look, okay, yeah, no, that that's a little bit of a little bit of a fail there. Um, you you get into the eight and you consolidate yourself there. You don't want to fall out last round of the, uh, round of the season. So yeah, I, I think ninth is a wouldn't be a pass mark to be honest with where we've come from.
2: Yeah, it's it's, it's certainly a, a, a good question because if you'd asked if you'd ask us this at, at this stage last year, um, you know, coming from where we came from last season, you'd probably go, well, ninth is an improvement. Um, we've certainly played better football. You know, we, we've played much more attractive football for much of the year. Uh, more attacking, more offensive-minded. Uh, we've moved the ball faster. You know, we've become a good team to watch, and, and I think neutral fans of the game like watching us. We've seen that written in in multiple publications over the over the season. So that's that's a, a positive. Uh, but yeah, like you said, H, I mean, we, we we were second on the ladder and we were in the top four for a fair chunk of that that middle part of the year. Um, and to, to go from there to ninth would have to be disappointing. Um, so, you know, perspective is perspective, right? Compared to last year, year on year, ninth is, is an improvement and we certainly improved on much more than just ladder position. So so there are some things there to be pleased about. But yeah, you'd have to you have to be a bit disappointed. You'd have to be very disappointed for us to miss out in the finals. But I've got one, you know, to about Jake Carlisle before, I've got one from a, a friend of the show on, on Twitter, at Becca Hayne, who says, aside from why do we do this to ourselves and, and buckle up again and again and again, that the question is thoughts and reflections on, on Jake Carlisle? We we hardly knew you. And uh, Guerrero Fred also said, yeah, where's Jake Carlisle? Do, do either of you guys have an idea of, of where he's been for the last few weeks?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean... Clearly, I mean, Kel Wilkie's a different type of defender, but um, Dougal Howard came in to play that key position role. And clearly it's a case of they, if they feel that they don't need to play three defenders, they only need to play two key tools that they consider Jake Carlisle to be number three in that list because Wilkie's got the versatility and, and Howard's probably had a better year. So yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, Jake can have brain explosions when he plays, no doubt, but he's still a pretty good intercept marker. And I actually thought he played all right against Brisbane just before he obviously lost his place in the team. So it's a tough one. I think he has to play this week. And I think if we make the finals, he has to play in the finals based on structure and, and experience. But yeah, he will be the watch when the season ends as to what they do on that front as to whether they look to um, you know, develop further some of these kids like Claverino or Logan Austin or something like that. But yeah, it's, it's a strange one. I think he plays this week, but, but whether that answers any questions or not, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I don't know myself. just doesn't feel right. Um, it, it just doesn't seem like something is right there. That if if everything was going smoothly, I think he would be playing. Um, so it's just yeah, I, it's 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 a little confusing, and you sort of go, well, what's what is the best for the club right at the moment is there something that's wrong that's they're going well we don't want you playing and that's the reason why or yeah what's what what's happening up there it's because one thing we're so far away from it all so we don't we're not seeing and have don't have the reporters there seeing what's going on as much as what we normally would so we're sort of a bit more out of the loop than we normally would be so it's it's just a tough one that I guess there's only a very few people that could actually answer what is going on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um, I guess a couple before we we wrap things up on the uh, the listener question front and um, a few of those in regards to trade targets. um, I keep hearing there is a big fish, whether that's a a Zach Williams or something like that, sort of remains to be seen. And, And I guess players with currency, that's, I'm not sure we'd be necessarily keen to to move too many on. But then again, our draft haul isn't probably as, as strong as it needs to be. But hopefully, I mean, in terms of that, those trade stuff, all obviously very valid questions, but um, just out of, I guess, pure superstition, I'd almost rather sort of wait until our season's over before that happens, which we hope it isn't. I guess, final thoughts on confidence levels ahead of Friday night. It's, it's a case of, I know St Kilda have been doing those deep breathing exercises at quarter time, but we, I think we all need to do that a little bit. <laughs> We're, still alive or obviously we're in a position we'd like to be in. We, we could have had our, our place in the eight secured already, but it isn't. Um, we've got one more step to, to do that. It's either a very nervous weekend if they lose on Friday night, or it's a very comfortable watch knowing that you're going to play in a final sort of 12 or so days later after the week off. But um, how are you feeling when, when we reconvene? Do you, do you think, Nick, first of all, that uh, when we next do this podcast, we'll be talking about playing in a final?
2: Well, very, very nervous. I mean, confidence levels right now, uh, they've fluctuated all through the week. Earlier in the week, uh, in, in my mind, I thought GWS are cooked and, and they're done and you know, they, they've dropped Canelio and, and their season's over. Like the, the things that have to go right for them to make finals is just too much and, and I can't see them coming out, you know, firing and, and they're just not the same. They're not the same GWS that we've become accustomed to this year. And, uh, you know, I, I think that we've got this in the bag, but as, as the week's gone on, Um, I'm swinging the other way. And I guess that's the old St Kilda pessimism part of me that, that, you know, sits in the, in the bottom of your heart. And uh, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I, I guess that the reality is that we've had, we've had our fate in our own hands for a month, right. And we've let it slip a number of times. If we do it again, we don't deserve to play finals. If, if we win this game, then over the course of the year, we've been one of the top eight, Teams in the competition and and we certainly Deserve to be there if we if we can't Win this one you know we lose to Lose to Melbourne um, lose to West Coast when when we should have beaten them Uh, If we lose again then we probably Don't deserve to be there in in a couple of weeks
1: Yeah It's it's gonna be one Of those ones where I think we're Gonna sit down five minutes before the game and just Go I still Don't know what's gonna happen it's it's Yeah I mean I mean we didn't know what was gonna happen with only five minutes into the last quarter last week. So it's it's just yeah, gonna be I think it's gonna be a bit of a roller coaster again. Um, just hopefully it ends up being one of those roller coasters where at the end we get another ride. Um, so hopefully yeah, we'll definitely go in confident enough, but it's just one of those ones we just don't know. And it's gonna be hopefully a bit of relief come. 10 o'clock on Friday night. Yeah,
0: one more win. One more win. One more chance for that as well. I know it doesn't all come down to that, but you take destiny out of your own hands if you lose. So fingers crossed, nervous nights ahead, nervous week ahead. But uh, deep breaths, everyone, and fingers crossed we get ourselves through. Thank you to Russell Green for joining us this week, and let's reconvene in a few days' time and hopefully preview a final uh, in a Queensland hub in a couple of weeks.